we've been in this series on identity out of first people out of first peter how do we identify uh, ourselves when it comes to god and and we live in a world of imposters we live in a midst where we can be persecuted so who are you going to be are you going to be one of the crowd or are you going to swim upstream be a little different so today we're in an, our identity before the throne of god and it, and it gets a little uh, it, it's both a blessing and kind of a warning here today uh, because the blessing is that you're going to be persecuted, but the persecution helps cleanse you. I, I was telling a friend of mine who's been a pastor and is, works in, in, in all of this as well. And he said, you know, what's going on? So well, I'm preaching through First Peter. He said, oh, you're a Christian, you suffer, God's going to do something. You're a Christian, you suffer, God's going to do so- something. Wash, rinse, and repeat. I said, yeah, exactly. That's what I told him. And First and Peter is a lot like that. But think who's saying it. It's Peter. He lived this out. He knows what he's talking about. And it's a blessing uh, to, to learn from him. And I, I mentioned it during the announcement time just about that, that we don't own anything and that one day we're going to give an account. And, and let me just read you. Uh, I don't have it in my notes or anywhere. But let, let me read you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder... I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation uh, except uh, other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become known or manifest or known. For the day will disclose it. What day? The day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that he's built on that foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I don't know if you ever thought about that. That's First Corinthians 3, and you can be open your Bible, Second Peter, First Peter chapter 4, and if you're using a Bible provided for you there uh, where you're seated, uh, that's page 1206, 1206. Well, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the only foundation that can be laid spiritually in our life is laid by Christ, and that's salvation, because I, I can't save myself. Anybody here can save yourself? If you raise your hand, you are very confused, so we'll talk with you later, okay? Nobody can buy their way in. Nobody can work their way in. Nobody can, you know, be buddies and get in because, hey, can you blink at that and just let me in anyway? The only way in is through Christ. He said, I am the door. No man comes in or out except through him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way. And if you talk to religious people today, they'll call that narrow-minded. We call that biblical, okay? Um, The Bible is narrow-minded. Christianity is exclusive, although it's inclusive. It includes everybody wants to come, but it's exclusive that you can only come in through the Lord Jesus Christ. You with me? So here we learn in, in Corinthians, just those short verses, he lays that foundation of salvation, and we start working and living in him and so we're building on that foundation of salvation and notice he said there's a lot of different building materials you can use silver gold precious stones that'd be a really beautiful castle wouldn't it or you can just use some hay or scraps or wood which is flammable and he said there's coming a day where you're going to stand before God and the fire of God's judgment is going to over your life and what was nasty gets burned up 
And the gold, the silver, and the precious stones remain. But all of that came from him. He gave us the gold, silver, and precious stones. But he rewards us for what he did good in our life. And we're going to see another scripture later. It says we will be judged for our works, what we did as a Christian. But he's going to reward us anyway, even over the stuff he did through us that was good. And so I don't think we think about that much as a, as a believer. Sometimes our persecution is because we deserved it. Right? Now let me read the scripture and, and then we'll get into that. So if you're with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, I, I want you to follow along. I'll begin in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Notice the fire there? Okay, good job. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Would you bow again with me in prayer? Lord God, in Jesus' name, um, I'm certainly not sufficient to explain this text, uh, Lord so uh, none of us are or to understand it. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us, to show us, to reveal it into our heart, and our intellect, our mind. So Lord, we ask you to just take control of all of that so that we can understand the wonderful things out of your word. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name that you loved us enough to save us. And you love us enough not to leave us alone, but you want to uh, continue to work in our lives until the day you call us home or you come back. And so, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would, would just do what you promised that you would do. And we know you keep all your promises. So we, we have confidence of that. We are seated at your feet on the porch. We're listening to what you have to say. But, Lord, we, we don't want to be distracted by our enemy and his many different ways of doing that. So we ask, would you please bind our enemy by the authority in the name of Jesus? Would you give us freedom to hear and to understand today? And we know you will, and we thank you for it. In that greatest name ever, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I, I promise in these few short verses, there's more than I can do in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or three hours. There are so many things in here to explore. I know I say that every week, but every week I'm struck with that again. And I'm always struggling through. I, I, I'm going to come back to it, but notice what he says in the last verse. To trust your heart your life to a creator and it says um, he, because he's faithful he, uh, he's a faithful God we got a new thing going on in our society today and you may have heard of it it's called AI artificial intelligence anybody been hearing about that lately that's been around for a while it's been around even longer in theory and some of the people developing it said Oh, no, we don't really want this, but it's too late. We got it now, okay? And it's all good intentions. Most, most people do things in good intentions. There's evil people do it bad intention. But there's a problem. There's a seed in all of us, whether we have a good or bad intention, and that is there's a, there's a bad seed in there. It's called sin. And so 
Artificial intelligence, it learns from you. Now you say, I don't know what all that means. Well, if you've ever been on your phone, on Facebook or whatever, it's heard what you've said. That's why you get ads on stuff that you were discussing with your friends. Yeah, you've had that experience, huh? And so it's learning from you and it becomes more and more geared to you. But remember, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the artificial intelligence isn't evil in itself, but it's being taught by evil people. You say, well, they're good people. Well, there's none good, not one, the Bible says. So one day it's going to be evil because that's where it comes from. That's why in the church we recognize that and we back up and say, you know what? I'm not perfect. There's only one perfect one. That's Christ. Let's ask him. Let's let him guide our lives and lead us. And we still do that imperfectly. But when we do that, he, he blesses that. He acknowledges that. The Bible says when we acknowledge him, he, he helps us out. And so I want you to think about that a minute. You don't even know what is best for you. You need to trust yourself to this faithful creator. But notice the first part of what we read. In verse 12, he calls us beloved. And that's really nice because then he's not going to be so nice. You know, it's like, friend, let me tell you something I don't really want to tell you, but I got to tell you. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Peter's not necessarily writing to people who are suffering, but they have the potential to go through suffering. And that, that potential grew even after Peter wrote all this, but he knew they were in a dangerous place. And so he says, if that fiery trial comes, what does the fiery trial do? Well, I read the ultimate judgment, what's going to happen, that God will burn up the works that were not in his will or for his kingdom in that final judgment. But notice a word that a lot of people skip over. In fact, some modern translations leave the word out, but it is in the text. When it comes upon you to test you. That word to test doesn't mean you take a test, see if you pass or fail. It means to prove what you're made of. It's the, it's the difficulty that will form you into a certain thing. We use analogies, military, sports, any, any discipline, any job. If I have never played a sport and I decide I want to play pro football... I got a long way to go. You can just look at me and know that, right? I don't have the potential to weigh enough to play professional football, right? But boy, skills that they use have been honed by rep repetition, practice, and improvement. Uh, my, my nephew uh, worked one year at the Masters. actually worked a couple of years there. And he worked in the champion's locker room. And only champions can go into the Masters champion locker room. Not their wives, not their kids, only them. Their green jackets hang in there. And so he, he was taking their orders, getting their food. That's what he did. He got some gifts from different pro golfers. But he was in the presence of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Fuzzy Zeller and these kind of guys. And one night he'd cleaned everything up. He's going home. It's about 11 at night. And there's a big berm of earth between the parking lot where he's going. And on the other side was like a driving range. And he heard tink. Tink. And he said, well, who in the world is out here 11 at night hitting balls on the driving range at Augusta National? So he climbed up over that earth, and Tiger Woods was practicing his drive. At 11 o'clock at night, during the Masters. Well, none of us will ever achieve that kind of ability, right? 
Our trials come to mold us into the image of Jesus. You can look at trials not it's the only judgment Christians will ever suffer. Okay, let me let me say that. I will not be judged at the end of time for salvation, but what I've done in this life will be judged. And God wants me to have a lot of gold, silver, and precious stones in my life. So he brings a fiery trial into my life. So stuff that really doesn't matter gets burned away. And I go, "Ah, okay. I'm sure that in your home, most of you, you have some precious heirloom, some nice thing. I knew an older man in another city. and, and And he knew his family history. Way back, he had pictures and all kind of stuff in his home. And one day it caught fire and all that burned up. Well, I am sure he missed it. He felt the loss. But in the light of eternity, it wasn't a loss. It was just earthly. But somebody might have that kind of thing and be so attached to it that they, they begin to worry more about that than they do about the things of God. That happens to all of us. There's something in our life that can easily distract us. That's why Hebrews 12 says, let's run with patience the race set before, setting aside those distractions, the weights that beset us, the things that draw us away. Let's put all that aside. And if you hold on to one thing, you see, to be a Christian means total surrender, total abandonment. A a, a professional athlete, like I just mentioned, have abandoned their body They don't care if they get hurt. They don't care if they go through pain. They want to be perfect at what they do. So they they get over that, I'm too tired to do it. They just do it anyway. And they get to a point where they are, we call them a professional. Well, as a Christian, God wants to move us into the image of Christ. That is the goal of God in our lives now. And if we get real stubborn and hold on to something that we ought to let go of so we can know him better, you just might go through a fiery trial. So that's why he warns later, make sure you're not going through a trial because you're just dumb. Because you did something you shouldn't have done. Don't, don't do that. But if you're living for God and you have a trial, rejoice. God is purifying your life. I've never known anybody went through something horrible in their life that did not say, wouldn't want to do it again, but I sure am glad I went through that because it did this for me. It gives us wisdom. It helps us to be better. It helps us to grow and to know better. And so our identity today as a Christian is who we are before the throne of God. Sometimes we want to compare ourselves to our neighbor, right? Because you might be better than your neighbor, but you might be worse. But, but God calls us to compare ourselves to Christ. So that way we're humble at where we are and we rejoice in how far we've come. But if we ever start looking inwardly, we're, we're going to mess up. Or if we look at other people, we always have to uh, pay attention to Christ. And so, who you are is before the throne of God. Some of the arguments you make for your life, imagine standing before the throne of God and making that argument. What would God say about you? What would God say about that? God brings a corrective fire in our life to make us look more like Jesus. He said, and don't act surprised. This whole point, I called it, well, whose kid is this? I'm going to explain that in a minute. Whose kid is this? It's a kid that their father cares enough to put them through something rough to help them be better. That didn't get amens in most churches. I guess it doesn't get one here either. God doesn't punish the kid down the street. He punishes his own. Now, I'm using maybe too harsh of a term, punish. He's not punishing you. He is disciplining you 
for your own good, for your sake. We should never help discipline our child because we're angry. We discipline them in whatever way, time out, whatever you want to say, for their good so they can learn how to be a citizen everybody can get along with in this world, right? Well, God wants you worthy to be in the kingdom, and so he's going to bring discipline into your life to help you. When you go through a troubling time, man, you ought to just have a holy praise session. Just like, whoo, that's awesome, God. Thank you. Because you're going to do something so great out of this, I can't even imagine. It's going to be wonderful. God's greatest servants in the Bible, if you look at it carefully, went through intense suffering, intense pain. In verse 13, he says, But rejoice insofar as you're sharing in Christ's sufferings, that you can also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When Jesus returns, whether you go to him in your lifetime or he comes back, what do you have to give to him that's worth anything? Anything you live for for yourself on this planet is gone. And all you got is what you did for Christ. Somebody made up a little poem about that. Only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And listen, you don't have to be a preacher or missionary for that to happen. That's good if you are. That's great. It's wonderful. But God expects you as a believer to live that out where you work, wherever it is. Where you live, wherever that is. Where you play, wherever that is. You ought to be a representative of Christ. Amen? Exactly. And so, that's God's goal in our life. And we belong to the Father. He wants to make us more like Christ. But that comes because He is our Father. Go down there to verse 14 and 15. In those verses, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That, that comes almost straight out of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We, we preach through those, 5, 8. When you're insulted for Christ, glory praise God for that because you are you are honoring God you are you're glorifying God but then he says but don't suffer as a murderer thief or evildoer or a meddler Uh, let's think about these things for a second because most of those you say well praise the Lord I'm not that oh yeah you are you're all of those things you say I'm not a murderer well Jesus said have you ever hated anybody then you're a murderer and I can tell you, I've hated some people. I, I, can, I got a person in my head right now as I say that. And, and I, I've gotten past that. But that's a reminder to me, yeah, you're not so hot. You would be a murderer because you hated that guy to that extent at one point. So I've murdered. Or a thief. You ever picked up somebody's pen to use it and took it home with you? Say, well, I didn't mean to. Doesn't matter. You're a thief. You stole it. It wasn't yours. You took it. They didn't tell you you could have it. You took it. They probably might not care, but that didn't change what you did. We'd like to make excuses. Well, I didn't mean to. Okay, you didn't mean to. Take it back. All right? You know, if it's bothering you, do something about it. We've all done that. Or an evildoer. Have you ever done something you know you weren't supposed to do just because you wanted to do it? Now, if you say no to that, you've never been a child. (laughs) You know what mama told you, and you did it anyway. Right? So that makes it an evildoer. Or a meddler. Oh, now he's talking to the Baptist. (laughs) 
especially in this whole social media thing we've been talking about, that I talked about, man, we love to meddle in everybody's business. When did we forget you're supposed to live your life and unless somebody's bothering you, don't mess with them. Let them, let them go. All of a sudden, we, we, we ought to care about people's soul. We ought to care about it in that way. And if they're hurting people, we ought to care about that. But man, we, we meddle in people's lives. And not only do we meddle, we want other people to meddle. So we gossip them. You know, gossip isn't telling a lie. Gossip's just telling something that you're not supposed to be talking about anyway. And we meddle in people's lives. When we do that. So, by the way, I hate to tell you, but as a pastor, you've got a murdering, thieving, evil-doing meddler. But don't get too high, so are you. Get off your high horse, bow before the Creator in the name of Jesus and say, you're right, I'm a mess, I need you. Whether you're saved or lost, man, that's, we start there, but we never get away from that. We've got to keep doing that. Because, again, the fiery trials come to get rid of that. And he says, don't suffer for those reasons. Get rid of the stuff that, that was natural to you because there is another judgment coming. This is the judgment now, but we still do have a judgment to go through at the end. Uh, uh, the, the end that is coming. And the reason he, we suffer is because God is our father. I called it, he is your dad. Whose kid is this? You're God's kid if you believe in him and you know him. And so he's your dad, so he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to help you and he's going to help you get through that. But thirdly, why does he do that? Because God knows. A couple of decades ago at least, there was a rapper named Tupac, Tupac Shakur. And he said, only God can judge me. So there was t-shirts all around, Tupac, only God can judge me. And everybody, only God can judge me. Well, he's wrong because everybody will judge you. If he just said, only God can judge me rightly, that would have been true. See, only God can judge us rightly because he knows everything. You don't know anything. You think you know something, but you know very little. But God knows everything. And so God can judge us rightly. And when we submit ourselves, that's why at the end he says, so man, submit yourself to this creator God who loves you and knows you and he knows how to bring what is needed in your life to make you look like Jesus. So we trust him. And if you see somebody going through something, pray for them. Because God may have them in that refining fire. And they need your prayers. I've been through the refining fire. I understand that. And I had people praying for me and I thank God for that because I got through that. And, and, and hopefully, if you ever go in it or if you've been in it, there was somebody praying for you as well. You see, we glorify God because our suffering proves we belong to him. I don't know if you caught it when I read it, but, but look, look right here in verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name look at verse 14 before it if you're insulted for the name of Christ you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you when you're in suffering I've heard people say well where was God when I was going through that well according to that verse the whole trinity was there the spirit the son and God the father see that the Spirit is given to us as believers so God's presence with us and we're 
One third of the Trinity is the whole Trinity's there. Even though God is seated on his throne and Jesus is seated at his right hand right now. We know that. But the Spirit is with us and he brings God into our life. So whatever you're going through, understand according to 14, uh, 15, 14 and 15, uh, 14 and 16, that, we, that God is with us in that. But then check out verse 17 where he goes from there. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, I, I don't want to take too much time to explain that, but he's talking about the church. But this is something that his audience would understand because this is how Israel thought of themselves. In the Old Testament, they are the household of God. God told them that. You're the household of God. But when God said it in the Old Testament, he was talking about punishing them for their sin. Here, he's talking about purifying us for salvation. Purifying us to look like Jesus. Purifying us for the, for the work. And so we glorify God because it shows us that we belong to him or we wouldn't be in this. We often wonder, why do wicked people get by with so much? Because they don't belong to God. And I can't, I can't even go two miles over speed limit. I'll get pulled. <laughs> well, were you two miles over? Yeah, well, they had the right to pull you then, right? And I belong to God. He's, only gonna, he's not going to let you go too far. But listen to what's going to happen to us. This, he's talking about the church, and he says, it's time for judgment to come to the house of God. He wants us to be purified in our suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Let me just read it for you. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Paul is telling us that there's a, a judgment for the Christian where we will account to God for everything we did. When you gossiped in the church, when you meddled in somebody's life, when you hated someone, when you were ugly to someone, when you were mean to someone. I was talking to the teenagers this morning and just saying, man, if you're just kind to people, it'll open a door to witness. Because very few people are kind to people. I mean, you see that poor guy pushing the carts back into Walmart and it's pouring down rain or it's freezing cold or it's burning hot. You go, man, thank you for grabbing those carts for us. Appreciate you. Well, hopefully he doesn't die of a heart attack because somebody actually spoke to him. But Ben spoke nicely. And you see those people in line and they're just complaining, stomping their foot. And you're nice to that cashier. And they look up and they're like, who are you? Where planet you come from? And it just opens a door and you can just be nice. Hope you're... Man, I hope your day goes well. Or hope, are you having a bad day? Well, I'm going to pray for you. And it opens up an opportunity when we do that because we're going to appear for the judgment seat of Christ. So were you the guy yelling at the other person in traffic? Sorry, I got to stop and repent for a second. Okay, thanks. Or were you the person that said, wow, that guy needs prayer. <laughs> and you just pray for him and you're nice to him because there's coming a time when you will give an account. So, what happens to the disobedient? This is where he goes on. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. We need, to, we need to let God judge us now. And if it begins with us, what's going to be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Before I show you that, let me point something out. He didn't say, what is the outcome of those who don't believe in God? He says, what is the outcome of those who do not obey God? 
Now, when you understand that, you understand that the Christian is in an even more dangerous place. Because not only did you say you believed him, if you say that, then you said, I will obey him. And if you knowingly are disobeying someone you said you would obey, that's worse than a guy who never knew God said anything and they're disobeying him. You say, I didn't think there were degrees of sin. Then you hadn't read the Bible. Jesus said to Pilate, they know what they're doing, therefore they have the greater sin. God does see sins in degrees. Doesn't make hell for those who are lost and they weren't that bad any cooler. It's still hot. But friend, there... What's going to happen to people who don't obey? But what if you're a Christian and you don't obey? That's when you come under judgment of God in this life. If you're living your best life now, you are headed to hell. Because for the Christian, this is as bad as it's going to get. So when it gets bad, you say, hey, Lord, what are you teaching me? What did, I, did I mess up or you just, you just burned away some wood? That's fine. Stack the, let's do a bonfire. Get rid of a bunch of it. Let's get rid of it right now. And God will do that for you. But notice what he says. Those who do not obey the gospel of God, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Well, God actually gave us a verse to tell us what happens to them. And it's found in the book of Revelation. It's found in chapter 21. And it says this in verse 8. But as for the coward, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He, he lays it out for us. It isn't pleasant. And so knowing the terror of the Lord, we want to persuade men to follow Christ. Because God, as he begins that work in us, not only does he save us and make us clean and whole, and we, we know his love, so that as a loving parent, he does discipline us, now, so he doesn't have to do it later. In John 15, we have a, a, a picture Jesus painted for us of the vine and the branch. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You, he, is the, he is the root stalk that draws the nutrition and everything you need out of the ground and sends it into the branches so the branches will produce the fruit of the vine, the produce grapes. You following me so far? Then he says, my father is the husband and my father is the gardener. So Jesus identifies with us. He says, through him flows everything we need. And it flows out into us to produce fruit in our life. But when the gardener comes along and there's no fruit on that branch, well, I'm going to give you another week. But then if you don't produce, he clips it. And if you never produce, he cuts it off, throws it in the fire for sure. Then Jesus said this, but you are pure through the word spoken to you. And the word, he said, you are, you are purified through that. And he, it's the same word as prune. It's the exact same Greek word. Just one was talking about a plant, one's talking about a person. What he's saying is, so if you get into the word and you know me, you'll, you'll get straightened out without the, without the gardener to come and clipping you back so you'll grow some fruit. If you don't want to go through the suffering, follow God. Follow Christ. Follow his will. And we know none of us can do that perfectly. So when you don't, God brings some correction in your life, rejoice. That's not the only reason for suffering. Suffering comes just because man has brought sin into the world. And sin causes suffering, period. But think about the disobedient. They don't know where they're going. They don't know their danger. And it's upon us to tell them. 
And so I just come back to that last verse that we started with. So we entrust our soul to the faithful creator. If we're going to suffer, suffer according to God's will. Trusting our soul. And this is the same word when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. I entrust my soul into the hands of my loving Father because he knows everything about me. And what he brought into my life is for my good. Well, what are we going to do about all this? Well, if God has you in a trial, he loves you. If you're going through a trial, it's because of the love of God, not because God is ignoring you. It's the opposite of what people think. Well, where is God? He's right there. He's trying to get your attention. Turn around and pay attention to the ones bringing the trial. He wants to mature you. He wants to convict you. He wants to bring repentance into your life. Secondly, what if I told you I knew that the world's come to an end tonight at 5 o'clock? What would you do? Would you change your action if you knew then the next minute you're going to stand before God. They asked St. Francis that, and he said, they said, what would you do if the world came to it? You knew the world's come to an end today. He said, I'd plant a tree and eat a really good meal. In other words, I'm already living my life for God 100%, so I don't need to change anything. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Could you say that? And thirdly, I'd just like to use something as an illustration because our everyday decisions have eternal consequences. So I want to quote the great theologian Josh Turner, the country singer, who is a believer, by the way, a great believer. His wife is a Baptist preacher's daughter, and she plays piano for him, and she tours with him. Don't go riding that long black train. That's a song about that train's taking you to an eternal death. Don't get on it. Just stay away. Jesus told us something in John chapter 16 and verse 33. I'm going to turn in my Bible there and read it to you. I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. There's a place in our life for suffering that makes us more like Jesus. There's a place in our life for persecution just because you're a Christian and have anything to do with purifying you, even though it will. It has to do because you're a Christian and Satan's evil and he wants to hurt you. You got to figure out which it is. So the place to start is just bow before God and say, I trust you, whatever you bring in my life, but help me to understand this. But Jesus said, in him we have peace. In the midst of our trials, we have peace because we know we belong to God. We rejoice. Wow, I'm having a trial because I belong to God and he's not going to leave me alone. This is wonderful. He won't let me rest in my sin. And he wants me to be purified. 